Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge, presented by Curriculum Track, a brief retreat from your daily routine to explore the latest thinking and practices from faith-based educators and instructional leaders from all over. Join us as we swap innovative ideas geared towards promoting your school's mission, and we'll keep the conversation as fresh as you like your coffee. It's an honor today to have an old friend joining the Teacher's Lounge. Dan Behrens is a longtime promoter of Curriculum Track. Safe to say, I think that a majority of the schools using Curriculum Track today came through Dan Behrens, at least through the sales process. There may have been a few that just dropped on board without a demo, but Dan did those demos for Curriculum Track probably just about from the inception of Curriculum Track until recently when he stepped out of that role to pursue some of the other things that he had on his plate. And boy, what a full plate it is. We're excited to talk to Dan today about some of the other things that he's been working on, primarily the Christian Deeper Learning Network and conferences that he hosts through that network. So it's nice to talk to you today, Dan. Welcome. Thank you, Michael. Nice to be here. So for those who don't know you, which I think are probably few and far between, but Let me just run through some of the highlights of your experience in education before we start talking more about Christian Deeper Learning. You can break in with any extra details that you'd like to add, but I've just got a few bullet points here. You've been in education for around 40 years as a teacher, a building principal, a curriculum director. You taught a grad course or two for Dort University. You did that both on-site and remotely, didn't you, over the years? And you served as Vice President of Learning Services, Director of Instructional Improvement for Christian Schools International. Was that more in the accreditation role, or did those have bigger applications than just school accreditation through CSI? Yeah, it was really anything to do with teaching and learning. So it was writing a blog, it was putting together workshops, online courses, editing a journal, working on the accreditation instrument that we developed with the team there. And so those are some of the pieces that I was involved in. Bible curriculum as well. The CSI Bible curriculum. K-8 Bible curriculum was under revision, and I inherited that as well and brought that to completion. Yeah. And then in your free time or spare time, you wrote or co-authored a couple of different books, one about the evaluation of teachers and one about some changes in education. You co-authored that with others, the Mind Shift book. And recently you did some editing or some writing about the history of Christian education in the United States. What was that? That was for a conference put on around the impact of Calvinist Day School, reformed education in the United States. And for our attendees, we wanted to provide them some context. It was a great way to share resources, authors, the history documents that were foundational. That appears on the case blog as well. Blogging has been a part of my life. I started blogging back in 2006 when I was at Christian Schools International. We had a resource center with a number of things in it, which was great, but nobody knew it was there. I thought, I'm going to start writing in a blog and pointing out these resources. And then it ended up being a blog called Nurturing Faith is what I named it. It really was around spiritual formation, classroom pedagogy, mission of Christian schools. I wrote that as well. I was contracted to continue to write that after I left CSI. So that concluded in 2014. I think there were about 300 posts that I wrote for that. And then I started blogging for case.org as a case fellow. 
and now writing a digest on Friday for Christian Deeper Learning on the Christian Deeper Learning site. And I edit that blog. We publish that one three times a week. That's been very joyful and hopefully helpful to folks out there. Yeah. You're writing your encouragement for educators. And I know you're still a senior fellow for the Center for Advancement of Christian Education case, all of those experiences grew into or grew out into the Christian Deeper Learning work that you're doing now. Tell us how you got involved with that. Ooh, <laughs> that's really a long story, but I'll try to keep it somewhat brief. I taught in public education and then in Christian education. I was an administrator first in public education and then moved it back into Christian education and administration. And I think being a big picture person, I was always looking for how does everything connect and when do I feel happiest with who I am, what I'm doing? If I can connect what I believe with how I do my work, I'm happiest. But I had that sense as a teacher, too, that there were things I was doing that I had been taught in my coursework and my internships and so forth that really didn't align well with what I believed about students and teaching and learning. And that bothered me. I felt like there was a disconnect there. Of course, in that time period, we started to look for other ways. We were recognizing students were disengaging from learning. That research is pretty clear. But what did we do about that and how could we engage students? And as I started to think about my faith and who I believe God made us to be and made students to be, my desire grew to connect those pieces together. Here were some questions as I saw these gaps between my faith and my methods. And as a building principle, too, in leadership and the book I wrote on teacher evaluation, there's all kinds of disconnects. The reconciliation of those really has been my passion for the past, I would say, 15, 20 years. Does the way I organize my class, curriculum, instruction, assessment, culture, honor my students as image bearers of our creator? Are my students really engaged in the work I assign, or are we both going through the motions of what we imagine school is supposed to be? Have I made compromises in my practices? Am I focusing too much on individual student success and keeping parents and administrators happy? Doing it always the way it's always been done? Is there a better way I can model the creativity and innovation that I see in Jesus and what he calls us to do and be? What can I do to explicitly and implicitly focus my classroom on loving God and neighbor? So at the same time, as I looked around in the educational landscape, there were networks doing some really interesting things. One of the ones that came to my attention was the Expeditionary Learning or the EL Education Network, how they engage students. There were project-based ideas appearing, and Robinson was telling us we're killing creativity in our kids if we stay with the industrial model. And so this was all really churning and developing. I had time to think about these things, to identify models that I felt were connecting who we believe students to be and encouraging them. And at the same time, there was a sense that in Christian schools, we were becoming more isolated, insular. We were losing our saltiness, if you will. We weren't engaging our kids in learning or in faith particularly well. And so is there a way to bring all those things together? I started to believe that could be done. And then, of course, as time went by and research approved how 
project-based learning, I'll just use that phrase or deeper learning, really enlivens kids and sets them afire with their learning. That just added to my conviction that this is something Christian schools really needed to get involved in and be involved in. As I was at CSI, I started to do a lot of workshops around the country, California, a lot of them in Canada. I found there were folks in Canada who were working on these things. One of those projects was what we now know as Teaching for Transformation. Some folks up in Alberta, I worked with them on that project as well. There was great interest in it. And in the meantime, since through the work of CASE, TFT has been brought to over 100 schools in the U.S. We are a network. We set up a network about 10 years ago. We started moving towards Christian Deeper Learning Network. We did not want to be an organization. We didn't want to be collecting dues or anything like that. But we are a volunteer network that gathers people for encouragement and for learning. It's just a short, brief version and probably have lots of questions, Michael. <laughs> Well, you mentioned things like TFT, Teaching for Transformation and Project-Based Learning. Christian Deeper Learning is not synonymous with those things, right? That's not all you do and all you're about. Those are definitely elements mm -hmm. of deeper learning, but it's much more robust than just a few instructional practices or design methods. Yeah. So to back up, Christian Deeper Learning is an umbrella term. And we really stole that deeper learning from the Hewlett Foundation. Stephen Levy, who was involved in EL education, and I were brought together in a matter of divine intervention. That's another whole story sometime. But in 2010, Hewlett Packard Foundation brought a number of people together saying, let's identify a set of competencies students need to compete globally. There are a number of models and ways that people are working on deeper learning. In the Christian sector, we've identified really six different models that we have faith-based schools using deeper learning. We have written about those. So those are project-based learning. Some of the initial work I did in Ontario with Hamilton District, and that was something that had been going on for 20, 30 years there. I speak to that in some of the blog I wrote with the case piece. EL education has been a huge impact in Christian schools in terms of TFT and its own development. Teaching for Transformation is probably the most explicitly Christian in terms of some of the language that's utilized, the through lines particularly. And then International Baccalaureate, there's a network of Christian schools doing International Baccalaureate. IB for All program, K through 12, they have taken the principles and tenets of IB and their mission and their practices, their curriculum. So that's another one, big picture learning and then redemptive education. Those are the six that we're aware of at this point. There are other Christian schools doing some combinations of these things. But to your point, Michael, it's really, you're right. It's not just, yeah, I'm going to do this differently. It's really a cultural change. It's a belief change in what we believe about students. Can they be trusted with their work? And willingness to examine your own practices that may be hindering students. We describe really three ways in our definition. People of God's story. This is a celebration of the learner, what it means to be creating God's image. Secondly, a mindfulness toward learning design. So how do curriculum instruction assessment inspire inward and outward engagement? So that's where we say engaged in real work. People of God's story engaged in real work. 
And then the third part is, are you just going to sit there in your bubble of holiness? No, it's a responsiveness to culture, how to embody our mission in every aspect of school life and how to live it out in God's world. So that process is a matter then of forming the student and helping to shape the world and live as Jesus would have us live with our neighbor. We unpack that all in a document. It is on our website. It's called Deeper Learning in Christian Schools playing our part in God's story. We describe it as people of God's story engaged in real work that forms self and shapes the world. Yeah, and I'd invite people to go to your website, christiandeeperlearning.org. There's a lot of information there that might be helpful even as a companion to some of the things that we hope to explore here. But you just threw a lot at us, at me anyway. And I'm somewhat familiar and as I've worked with you and had the opportunity to observe some of the work that you're doing. But I guess maybe my summary of all that you just said is, and I like that phrase, connecting students to God's story, but it's in a kind of a researched way, like best practices, emerging practices, deep methods and practices for deep engagement with our students. It's really about questioning the status quo as well, isn't it? Those questions that you mentioned earlier, those are on your website as well. I'm glad you brought those up. Because when I saw those actually just today, I'm like, wow, those four questions that you led off with, if teachers would just think about those once a month and think about those deeply, reflect on those, it would probably lead to some reconsidering of the things that we just accept or try to continue to do Mm -hmm. in our day-to-day practices. Yeah, I was brought up as a special ed teacher. My education was in special education and particularly dealing with behavior disordered children, emotionally disturbed children. So the default approach to that point was behavior modification. Yeah, And so behavior modification can be effective, particularly for animals, for dogs. But is that how we should be using that? I'm not saying anyone is using it exclusively, but how we do behavior management in our classroom and even management. Is our goal to manage the behavior or are we sitting back and saying, why are so many kids disengaged in the learning process? I've shared this story many times in my workshops, but as a fourth grade teacher, one day I was teaching the middle group of kids and the middle group kids, of course, you're working on skills to get them up to higher level readers. And I was standing by the door and saying hi to kids and I overheard a couple of girls saying, I hate coming here. This is such a boring class. And I thought, what is wrong with this picture? I love reading. I'm a reader and I'm killing this joy of reading in kids. What am I doing? I'm shutting down learning in fourth grade. There has to be a better way. So that led us to move to more of a literature based approach and to rethink how we were doing things. But you're grading, you're grouping, you're interacting, how you're dealing with discipline issues all give a stronger message than some of the other stuff that you're doing. Being intentional about what you're communicating or not communicating in the choices that you make as an educator. Right. Exactly. How does that flow from your faith? If you believe kids are image bearers and they have intrinsic worth and value, you can't treat them like a number. You can't not care about them. They can make you infuriated, but you have to connect your faith and your practice. Yeah. The second question there, are my students really engaged in the work I assign? Starting with the belief that boredom is not a discipline problem. Lack of engagement may not be the student's full responsibility. There's certain an element to that, I think, but it's also on the teacher to invite the students in to engaging learning experiences. And to take it even a little further, Michael, this sounds pretty radical perhaps, but I have asked audiences, 
are you actually sinning against your students? Because if you are killing creativity, not allowing for that person to have expression of who God's made them to be, if you are deadening the learning process, you are fundamentally discouraging faith in them and them seeing the world as this place of wonder and marvel and trying to find their place in it. So I think it's pretty serious. This disengagement, I think, is connected to faith and how they view God and what ways they can be involved in the work that he calls us to do, loving our neighbor. Yeah, that's convicting to think about. Going back to the days that I was a teacher, how did you put that? Did I deaden their faith? Through a lack of creativity in my own teaching approach, that's convicting and yet powerful to think about. And we could work through the rest of these questions. Is there a better way? Is there a way I can better model the creativity and innovation of Jesus? I think keeping Jesus front and center in the classroom is really important to Christian education and focus my classroom on loving God and our neighbors, which you already alluded to, taking what we learn outside of the classroom and recognizing we have a responsibility to our culture and to people around us. And kids love to do real work. They love to do things that have an impact, and they can. I think sometimes we too often underestimate them, and we don't allow them to do this because, yes, this does take extra work, but what I've heard again and again from deeper learning teachers who are doing it seriously is, yes, there's much more preparation at the beginning. Yes, it is scary to give up some control, but these are the experiences that kids remember from their learning. That's powerful. Christian Deeper Learning Network, in some ways, is an outgrowth of your experience and your network, the people that you connected with, Dr. Stephen Levy, Daryl DeBoer, and others in that way. But historically, when would you say that it launched? Was it with the first conference there in Gainesville, Florida? We gathered in Boston. A number of us were unbeknownst to ourselves, the spirits organizing, I believe. But we found out that we were all attending this conference in Boston, the EL Education Conference. This other story, I had met Stephen. We said, hey, why don't we all get together for dinner? Then a couple months later, we decided, hey, let's get together for a meeting that was 10 years ago in Boston. We sat and said, we feel a stirring. All of us feel a stirring and a connection here. What do we do with this? I think it was the next year, perhaps, or the year after. Through Curriculum Track, we were running the Strengthening Christian Schools conferences. We had one in Chicago and in Elmhurst. I ran a pre-conference where we convened, where Stephen and I convened a number of people who are involved in deeper learning in Canada and in the United States. Then we did some brainstorming. We put some things on charts on the walls. From there, we said, again, what are we being called to do? We don't think this is a separate organization. This is an umbrella group because left to ourselves, people get into competition. This is my turf. You you stole that or that kind of thing. And we were concerned about that, that we continue to try to focus on the good work as a learning community together. Out of that grew then, hey, let's try a conference. Let's see who shows up. We said, if there's 15 of us or 20 of us that show up, great, we'll have a good conversation in Florida and we'll go back home. We ended up with about 70 people at The Rock. That was our first conference. We did one the next year in Texas, in Dallas, Texas. The third year in Denver, Colorado, we had about 375 come to Denver Christian. The fourth year, of course, we did it virtually. It was COVID. The fifth year last year, we were invited to be part of pre-conference for 
the Converge Conference, which is international, brought together, I think, 1,200 educators from around the world. So we did site visits with schools that were doing our different models in the San Diego area. Then this year, we decided we'd like to particularly go north of the border. Our Canadian friends have come to the U.S. many times. and We wanted to highlight particularly, too, the work that's being done at Surrey Christian with TFT with Abbotsford Christian, the PBL, that they've been doing there for years, as well as IB program that is happening at White Rock Christian in Surrey as well. Three opportunities. There's a fourth one. If anyone's listening to this, recognizes the book Teaching Redemptively. I had the opportunity to connect with Donovan Graham this past year, who wrote that book. It's a bestseller, ACSI. He's revised it. The next edition's coming out. Anyway, he and Joanna Levy, Stephen's wife, are an educator herself, head of school, now spiritual director at New Covenant. They're doing a spiritual renewal day, which should be outstanding as well. So that conference is in March of 2023. I don't know if this podcast will be published and distributed in time for people to join you for that conference. Yeah. But hearing about some of the things that you do at the conference definitely would help people consider joining you for a future conference. So this is number six this year in March of 2023. And I'm sure there's going to be a seven and eight to 10 to 15 into the future, right? <laughs> hey, we're all getting older, Michael. We're actually going to do some visioning following the conference and we're pulling together a group to help us do that. Some people were originally involved in the Boston one. I don't know. Things have lifespans. So we want to be cognizant of that. We want to hear from people what their desire is with it as well. So whatever shape that takes, we'll have to see with that. I hope you can make it so the podcast comes out beforehand. We are running out of space. We have space for 500 at Surrey Christian Secondary Campus to comfortably interact together. We're up to 426 as of today, and we have got 135 people signed up for the various pre-conference days that I described on Wednesday. That is very exciting to have that many folks coming. We've got 64 different presenters. We'll have about 80, 75, 80 workshop slots that people can choose from in the conference. We have something I just wrote about and came out in today's digest. We invented or created something called EMTs. So you've heard of TED Talks. The TED Talk is about 18 minutes. And someone on our committee said, oh, teachers, they have a shorter attention span. We should go shorter. <laughs> and they said, <laughs> Have you ever heard of Pika Kucha? I hadn't. I had to look it up. This is 400 seconds. You do have about seven minutes on a topic. So we said, that seems a little short. What if we said 11-minute talks or EMTs for short? So grateful that you're going to do one about the curriculum track TFT connections. That's been outstanding work that you have led on behalf of curriculum track with Daryl, working with Daryl so that schools using both can have a great tool that helps them. I'm doing one in the Practicing Faith Survey, which is a product of Kyers and Cardis, and we're marketing it through Case. There are 18 people, so our two fall into the category of tools and resources. There are some really neat people and ministries that connect with schools, and their work connects with schools that I want to expose people to. Then we're going to have classroom teachers talk about stories of change and inspirational stories that they have been involved in their classroom. Then the other one is stories of change in a school. For example, my friend Mike Chen, and we took over a school out there, really changed the program, changed the name of the school. A great story. 
Craig Dirksen started a school called the Waterloo School in Austin. It's an urban school that uses the community for its resources, learning resources. Kids are out in the community. There's just really cool people doing cool stuff. And I'm so excited that we're going to have 18 people sharing the cool stuff that they're called to be involved in. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of a conference and there's other ways to network, but a conference just allows you to get together and rub shoulders with people and hear their stories and what they're doing in ways that maybe you couldn't otherwise. That's, uh, I think, one of the... Now, the Christian Deeper Learning Network is more than a conference. You're doing other things. Tell us about some of the other things that you're doing through CDL, particularly on your website. You've got the blog, the podcast, and other resources there as well. Yeah. This has been really a labor of love for uh, essentially Stephen Levy, who is a dear brother and outstanding educator. Krista Wallace, who started an EL school. And so basically we've worked with planning teams in various places. And Krista has done a podcast. I don't know how active she is. She's very busy with a full-time job working with urban schools. Stephen is very active helping schools implement the pedagogy. He's a pedagogy expert, particularly. I've worn various hats with my own consulting and curriculum track and case and deeper learning and mind shift. It's been really joyful, but it's all been done on the side. We really want to be a platform that unites people, encourages people, brings people together. We've been blogging the past two years. Our blogs come out on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. This year, I decided to do a digest on Friday and give updates for our conference and introduce people and so forth. Beyond that, there's a wonderful summer institute that Stephen and Joanna, Stephen Levy and Joanna, run. I've done it for several years now. The information's on our website. It's a week-intensive situation. It's a beautiful location, a retreat center out in Massachusetts, and it's in June, I believe, if they sell out on this, so I think they've got room for 35 this year. If you hear this and you're interested, please go to the Deeper Learning website and look for the tab Summer Institute, or in the future, it might be listed as network events as well. So we try to just be a vehicle to connect and encourage and to platform people doing great work. Yeah. Yeah. I know to the extent that I've been involved with the conferences and had a chance to meet people, it's been encouraging to see and hear and also challenging to see and hear the things that educators are doing as they try ultimately to be the educator that they believe God has designed them to be and for his glory. I think that's really the driving part of most that I've met in the network. We got to do the best we can for our students and for the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, what would you say to someone who's maybe learning about the Christian Deeper Learning Network for the first time? What would be the best way for them to get connected? I would say come to the conference. I get schools calling me up and saying, okay, we're ready. We'd like to look into this more. We'd like to consider moving into deeper learning in greater degree in our school. i am become a really strong advocate, Michael, of site visits. I think site visits can be very calming and disruptive at the same time. Calming because you look at these folks who are doing things out of the box and they're living, they're enjoying it. <laughs> so they're enjoying their work. And at the same time, it's very disruptive because you're noticing what about this or what about this or what about this? The things that we think are so essential for school to run maybe aren't there. There are different things happening. So it's really the best way to 
process with somebody new why they're doing what they're doing, see what they're doing, see the evidence, see the kids interaction. And at the same time, process with your team. Don't go and do this alone. Be sure to take two or three or four key thinkers, leaders, people who want to be involved in deeper ways, move your school forward. You said it, Michael, but I really admire the educators that come to our conferences. They're risk takers. They're willing to step outside the box a bit. They're excited about kids. The 13th of the month, I wrote a little blog piece here, why I love CDL educators. They've thought through what they believe about students, understand how they learn, what it means to follow Jesus, help their students do the same. They're in the process of connecting or have connected the dots of belief and practice, philosophy, and pedagogy. They believe each child's an image bearer, should be educated accordingly. They're willing to act in what they believe, take risks to educate. And they do this sometimes in the face of opposition or, or at least many additional hours of learning and preparation so their students can be more engaged in and experience the joy of learning and come to understand how to live out their faith in more meaningful ways. They love to share, collaborate with each other, learn from each other, and they're generally positive people. I just tell people, hey, this conference is about encouraging what I consider to be some of the very best Christian educators in the world today. Yeah. Well, I'll say this based on my limited experience with CDL. If you're an educator who wants to change the status quo, need to do something different, or if you're a school who needs to innovate, <laughs> let's do something outside of the way it's been done for years and years, then you need to check out CDL, connect with some of the people in CDL who are, as you said, risk takers, trying things, exploring things. They're going to have a lot of input and insights and advice for you. So it's worth checking out. Maybe as a parting shot here, Dan, thank you for the work that you've done, not just with Curriculum Track, but with faith-based education for so many years and your heart and your passion for education, you're poured into CDL now. What would you say to educators? What would you like for them to hear maybe in this moment? in faith-based education. What encouragement would you give them? Advice, challenge, words of wisdom? Well, yeah, that's always a challenging thing, but a good thing. I think understand who you are, first of all, and what you bring. I've worked with many people with Core Clarity, which is taking the strengths finders and helping them understand who God's made them to be. Sometimes we do things that are challenging for too long and it leads to the stress and the burnout. If we're doing things that God's made us to do, we experience a lot of joy in doing that. So understand who you are. You need to be deep in your own faith. You can't give away what you don't have, what you don't believe. Kids will spot this a mile away. If your work is not bringing you joy, then seriously, again, look back at your strengths. Find things that Maybe it's leaving the profession that bring joy, but if it is staying in the profession, be joyful, model the learning, model faith, be an encourager. If you start to get cynical and bitter and it's despairing, then it is time to leave. I didn't leave for that reason. <laughs> Just getting old. I don't know what God's calling me to in the future, honestly, but I think it's keeping one eye on the call and saying, is this still what God's calling me to do? And is this the way I should be using my gifts to his honor and glory? That's good advice. Thanks a lot, Dan. It's been great to have you with us today. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate the opportunity. 
Thanks for dropping by the Curriculum Track Teachers Lounge today. We hope this conversation helped you feel more connected to like-minded educators and provided you with a thought, an idea, or even just a smile as you seek to do all that you can for all of your students. If you found this conversation to be helpful, do us a favor and rate this podcast. Also be sure to share it with others. We would be grateful to hear from you with any ideas, questions, or thoughts that you may have. You can find ways to connect with us at curriculumtrack.com.